0: Hello, and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we are going to examine two articles, again from the website Ms. Magazine. One of them was written at the beginning of October, and one was written a little bit earlier, um, towards the middle to end of August. The major theme of this episode is going to be examining things in their context and arguments of the feminist movement basically coming back and saying, but you also argue this and you can't have it both ways. So just to jump right in with the first article, this is written by Red Rosenberg. She is autistic and identifies as lesbian. After the decision of Dobbs in June, she argues that this decision harms and oppresses her and restrains her decision for sexual reproduction and other women in her specific scenario. And her specific scenario is that she underwent a sterilization at the age of 21, something called a tubal ligation, which is basically the severing or blocking or even removal of the fallopian tubes in a woman in order that she won't be able to become pregnant. So she's from then on infertile. Um... And Rosenberg basically says that she decided to do this at the young age of 21, which normally this doesn't happen for women until they decide later into their 30s. And she presents that evidence in her article. But she decided at 21 because she said she knew she never wanted to have children. And even though she identified as lesbian, there was a possibility that she could somehow become pregnant and not want that child. And her main argument for not wanting children is that she doesn't want to risk passing on her autism to her children, which she says she believed was genetic. And she believed that autism is passed on genetically and therefore she didn't want to bring any children into the world who might suffer from what she has. Um, I don't know much about the discussion of autism and if it's genetic or not, but in her article, she indicated that there is a side that says it's genetic and there's a side that says it's not genetically related at all. Um, So just even the thought of her saying, I don't want any children because of this possibility is interesting because it's not guaranteed that every child would have autism. Jumping into her article, I want to quote just first off, Something just pointing out kind of the absurdity of where we've come to. She says, quote, usually in bodies assigned female at birth, one of two ovaries releases at least one egg every month. This isn't essential to her argument or her point in her article, but she's explaining why she got the procedure. She goes back to the biology of a woman, which is that she has a cycle and every month she releases an egg. But In her article, she has to phrase it in usually in bodies assigned female at birth instead of just saying in female bodies or women because that's what a woman is. But we can't say that anymore because we don't know what a woman is. And it's oppressive to say that this that every single woman undergoes this according to the feminist movement and the feminist culture. So we have to use long phrases like in bodies assigned female at birth instead of just saying what it is, which is, that's a woman. But going along further into argument, she says that she's arguing for the right to undergo sterilization. And she goes into the history of sterilization and she references a Supreme Court case which legalized sterilization in the early 1900s and that court case was Buck versus Bell. And she clearly discusses this case as if it was a horrible decision and that she's completely against it, which I, for one, am glad that she says that, because I agree that it was a horrible decision. Um, I will quote Justice Holmes, who wrote the opinion for the case. He said, quote, It is better for the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. So basically the argument is that instead of allowing children to come into the world who may live oppressive lives or grow up and do horrible crimes, we should just rob them of the right of life from the beginning. Um, And that shows you the innate argument of sterilization and abortion, which actually links back to Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest. Basically, we're going to groom our kind and get rid of all of these weaklings who don't even deserve a right or chance of survival so as I said Rosenberg was against this decision and she actually used that quote by Justice Holmes to show just how horrible this decision is so I'm glad that she's against it but then she goes on and she says quote In the wake of that decision, over 70,000 people, most of them impoverished people of color, were forcibly sterilized between 1907 and 1945, as a result of the federal government's pro-eugenic sterilization regulations. To this day, the Buck v. Bell decision has never been overturned, giving the court's ultimate power over disabled women's reproductive health. So that was all a quote from Rosenberg, and if we're taking what she presents as factual which i i don't see any reason why it's not that this court this court case has not been overturned and that over 70,000 people have been forcibly sterilized that's horrible and she's recognizing how bad that is however i don't think she realizes the key connection that this court case has to abortion, specifically through Margaret Sanger. I, don't, I didn't find any commentary that Margaret Sanger had on this specific court case, but she was advocating very similar ideas, especially in her founding of Planned Parenthood. Her employment of abortion was basically to speed up survival of the fittest and to encourage this Darwinian theory. She basically wants to kill off the disabled, whom she called feeble-minded, and the african-american population she was fundamentally racist margaret singer actually said quote we don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the negro population so she knew what she was doing and she knew what she wanted but she was hiding it and masking it under planned parenthood and didn't want people to find out but today in 2022 Planned Parenthood actually disassociates with Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. They have cut her off. They have canceled her. And that's because they can't deny this truth. They can't deny the truth of what she was actually arguing for. And so in 2020, CNN wrote, quote, Eugenics practices targeted the disabled, people of color, and poor people. In July of 2020, Planned Parenthood of Greater New York announced that it would be removing Sanger's name from their Manhattan Health Center. So, sadly, Rosenberg condemns this court case, Buck versus Bell, but doesn't realize that it was the foundation of Planned Parenthood through Margaret Singer. Even though Planned Parenthood has canceled Margaret Singer, they can't deny the fact that that was the origin of their founding. And Rosenberg ends with this, quote, Being pro-choice doesn't just mean supporting the right to abortion for cisgendered, able-bodied, neurotypical women. Pro-choice also includes disabled women in our choice of reproductive health care. The overturn of Roe v. Wade has taken that away, and it's only likely to get worse. So, just to summarize, she attacks the court case that basically promoted the fundamentals of abortion and the founding of Planned Parenthood through eugenics and sterilization, and she then blames Roe v. Wade for limiting her reproductive rights. So, she She's attacking two court cases, which are basically doing opposite things because Buck versus Bell promoted sterilization and abortion and the overturn of Roe v. Wade in Dobbs is forbidding abortion, but not really. It's actually just returning abortion decisions to the state. It's not actually making it illegal. It's up to the states now. So again, she's basically trying to have it both ways. She's trying to condemn both cases when, in fact, they kind of stand in opposition to each other because the overturn of Roe v. Wade is not the same as overturning Buck v. Bell, but it's a step. The Dobbs decision in June is a step to maybe overturning Buck v. Bell. And yet she sees it as oppressing herself. So the second article that I want to talk about is focuses more, it it connects to this idea of oppression and especially focusing on the disabled, but it also has ideas of the socialist push of feminism, um, hiding behind a face of compassion. So the writer, she is a disability justice activist and performance artist. Bear with me as I try to pronounce her name correctly, it's very long. Leah Lakshmi Piepcina Sharmarisha. Ms. Magazine writes that she knows it's possible for society to, quote, become more equitable. They envision a future in which people, quote, are free to be regardless of their ability to fit into capitalist institutions, end quote. So this article, even though it doesn't really address it or say it outrightly, is coming from a socialist perspective, basically saying capitalism is oppressive, and it then goes into this author's story and especially her latest book which is the future is disabled prophecies love notes and morning songs um and it is talking about her story and saying like look at how oppressive this is and don't we need a change specifically a social change which is the idea of socialism socialism is saying this is unfair this is oppressive we need equality more actually called equity and um pushing for a leveling of the playing field basically so, quoting the magazine, it says that her book, The Future is Disabled, quote, lays out a bare-bones agenda for what is needed to make the U.S. more socially just, affordable, available, and accessible housing, health care, and pharmaceuticals, a universal basic income for all residents, free, high-quality public education programs, and the elimination of punitive policing. So, again, what I was just saying is this idea of pushing for all of these social changes and a leveling of the playing field. However, what ends up happening, as we've seen throughout history with countries that have gone socialist, is that basically everyone just becomes poor and that there, is, there becomes a rise of power and eventually a totalitarian state rises and oppresses everyone else underneath. We're reducing people, robbing people of individual work and identity and making everyone the same. So I just want to emphasize before I go further, because as you get into the article, you're going to hear some hard things about her story. And I don't want to come across as hateful or merciless. Um, In fact, she's she's talking from, I believe, if I'm understanding her story correctly, she suffered from COVID and somehow that sickness created some sort of disability in her. If that's not correct, then she was disabled before and COVID made it worse. Um, She doesn't go a whole lot into her disability, but she says that she's disabled. And I just want to make it clear out front, my eldest brother is actually profoundly disabled. He was born with cerebral palsy and was not, doctors said he wasn't going to survive the night, and yet he's 26 years old today. Um, And so I would just like to say that I've seen firsthand Uh, what disabilities do and how they affect our daily lives but the way he expresses joy and love is so clear and he doesn't feel oppressed or I don't believe he would speak out and say that everyone needs to be treated like he is or the playing fields to be leveled because of his disability. So I just want to come from that perspective so that I don't sound harsh as I kind of push back against some of her arguments. I will say that it's ironic that she's writing this article because especially in June, when people were responding to Dobbs, they were saying, well, what happens if the baby is disabled or is going to be born into a poor home? And they don't realize what they're saying, but they're basically saying, isn't it better to end this person's life And instead of bringing them into a world where they're going to be disabled or hated or poor or the odds are against them, basically. And let me just re-emphasize or remind you that that language that I was hearing and seeing all over social media in June is the language of the court case Buck versus Bell. It's, well, these people are going to live horrible lives anyway, so we might as well just rob them of the right to life anyways. That is the point of Buck versus Bell, and that is the point of Planned Parenthood and abortion. So in this article, it's basically an interview and it's the journalist asking questions and then this woman responding. And so one thing she answers is about independence. And she says, quote, I would call it autonomy more than independence, being able to control your life, your choices, what clothes you put on, who you have sex with. That is her idea of independence. And again, it goes back to what is feminism pushing for? It's pushing for autonomy, especially the second wave feminist movement in the 1960s, as we've talked earlier, was pushing for sexual autonomy. But sadly, this isn't how the world works, especially if you understand it from a Christian perspective. And we, we live in a world created by a God, and he has set up a specific order. So even if you think you're living an independent life and you you have free autonomy, that's not true because you're ultimately held responsible to God. And honestly, it was quite sad to read her response. The interviewer asked her uh, what brings her joy and how can we be bringing more joy to disabled people? And I won't quote everything she says. If you're interested, you can find it on the website. But she goes in to very worldly descriptions of things that bring her satisfaction and joy, such as, Uh, Just various life pleasures like makeup, food, sexual autonomy, parties, drinking, all of the things that are very temporary and actually don't bring joy. In fact, I wanted to end just reading Galatians 5, 16 to 24. It's a long passage, but just bear with me and follow along because I believe it speaks directly to this. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain. Fornification, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, corrosive, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I just want to reiterate that I'm not condemning her and I'm not trying to shame her even in in where she finds joy. But I'm trying to encourage her and others that that joy is not ultimate joy and it's not true happiness. It's temporary and it honestly is driving you down a path of destruction to yourself, you're going to become so consumed, but you, you're not truly happy, and I think if you really examine your life, you would realize that. Um, but let me just come across and remind us that as she's saying that we should be caring for the disabled, maybe not through this promotion of a socialist reform movement or um, equal programs or things like that, but let me just say that she is right that we should be caring for the vulnerable. James commands us to care for widows and orphans, but in actually the same verse in James chapter 1, he also says, quote, keep oneself unstained from the world. So he tells us to be engaging in the world and to be caring for those suffering in the world, but to also Remain unstained, just as Paul is saying, do not be living and gratifying the desires of worldly flesh. So, I just want to return to my brother Daniel because I believe he's such a testament to me and to so many others of what true joy is because he finds his joy in Christ, and even though he can't speak of it or express it in his actions or in his deeds, he does do it in other ways, through his laughter or through just the way I know he loves me and he loves others. Um, He reminds me daily to be thankful to my Lord, and I look forward to the day when he will walk and dance and sing because this Affliction in this world is temporary. The affliction that anyone will undergo is temporary. So that does not give us the right to rob them of life or to oppress them, but we should come to them with love and support. Just pointing them to Christ and pointing them to the eternal hope that they have where there will be no suffering, no more pain, where Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will rejoice with him in heaven. So I hope that that leaves you with some hope today. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. I'm Michaela S. Truth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.